Welcome to the Mike Litton Experience Podcast. Mike has over 31 years experience in real estate, finance, and investing. He's passionate about being a father, a teacher, a realtor, an investor, and a leader. Everyone has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And now, introducing the host of the Mike Litton Experience, Mike Litton. So what is Mike Time? Mike Time is a set of short stories that have happened throughout my lifetime, experiences of mine throughout my lifetime, that have taught me lessons that I hope will be of value to you. So what can you expect from the Mike Litton Experience? You can expect stories that will inspire, motivate, deliver advice that sharpens your focus, as well as providing expert information regarding real estate, finance, and market conditions. Hey, Rudy, thank you so much for joining us for the Mike Litton Experience, bud. It's good to see you. Good to see you. Good to see you. One of my favorite people in the world. So, so, like we talked about, our passion is helping people tell their story. Everybody has a story, right? Yours is unique. Mine's unique. Okay. And our passion is to help them tell it. So we're going to talk about your life story, and then we're going to talk about anything you want to talk about in terms of like what's happening currently, because we want to talk about you're currently an escrow officer with, with Foundation Escrow. We're actually at your office, by the way. Thanks again for letting us use it. Um, so I want to talk about what you're seeing in the marketplace, what you're seeing yeah. in escrow, what works, what doesn't, that kind of thing. So we'll talk about that too, okay? So where were you born? I was born here in San Diego. Okay. It's any specific place, any specific community in San Diego? Well, so I was specifically born in Mission Village, okay. Kaiser Hospital. Okay. And for the adolescence part, I usually grew up in Chula Vista. Okay. On uh, East Chula Vista. Okay. Towards East Lake area. Um, and then probably from around 11, 12 onwards, grew up in City Heights. Okay. Yeah. But like I said, I've always called City Heights home. I think I lived there a couple of times, even when I was adolescent as well. Okay. But um, yeah, most of the time, I definitely lived in City Heights all my life. I still live there to this day. So question, what's your favorite thing about living in City Heights and growing up in City Heights? I'd say the proximity to everything. Yeah, so it's really well located, right? It's right in the middle of San Diego. Yeah, definitely. I'm probably 10 minutes away from Mission Valley, which is here at work. Yeah. Uh, 10 minutes, you know, probably Chilla Vista as well. So I'm pretty much in the center of everything. Also the stores, the restaurants, and also the people. Okay. Of course, I'm Mexican-American, so a lot of Mexicans there. So I grew up with everybody, so I'm, you know, accustomed to the culture. Gotcha. Okay. So you went to high school where? Uh, so I first went to high school in Otay Ranch. Okay. So I was living in City Heights, but going out um, high school in Chivalista and Otay Ranch. Why is that? Um, I was better school. Okay. Um, my uh, my grandfather actually knew the principal. They okay. grew up together, so he was able to get me in, even despite not me living in the zip code. So you had a connection. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I so love I, it. I still remember meeting the principal, and he said, "Hey, you know, I've known your grandfather for years." He's like, "I know you're not in the zip code, but he was like, we're very good friends." He's like, "I'll have you come to the school," and I went there. Um, for about a year, from you know, um, 2011 to 2012, um, I didn't really like it. I don't know okay. what it was. I just felt out of my element. Um, okay. I felt like I, I don't know. I wasn't as motivated at the time. And um, so it was your freshman year. Yeah. Okay. And, and mind you, um, I had basically grown up all my life loving school to a certain point. Though I was very competitive when my dad was in my life, and then you know, from 12 years on, I didn't have my dad in my life. So it was part of like a kid that was still going to school, still loved it to an extent, but I wasn't as competitive. And I felt like when I went, go ahead. So where did your dad go? So basically, if I, if I backtrack, 
my dad was in my life from the moment I was born to 12 years old. Okay. My parents divorced in 2008. Okay. So from that point onwards, my I never saw my dad again. I to this day I have not seen my dad. Since 2008. Since it's been 15 years now, yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, my, my dad was uh, he fall victim to substance abuse and okay. drugs. And again, the relationship between between me and my dad wasn't the best. Yeah. So yeah, the last time I saw him was 2008, and so like I said, as I progressed through school, it did moderately well. Uh, but by the time I got to ninth grade, I don't know what it was. Like, I just wanted to run wild in, in a sense. And I started like, you know, not acting out, but just going out more than normal mm-hmm. and hanging out with the wrong crowd. A lot of my friends were in gangs. Okay. So I started hanging around with them more frequently, just adopting that mindset of, you know, just bad behavior. Yeah. And I feel like ninth grade was that culmination where it was like, um, you know, this is it. So and what I mean by that is I, as I progressed in ninth grade, you know, just did well. Got to like May 2012, which was like two weeks before finals for ninth grade. Okay. Um, and so happened that an individual who knew my cousin um, came up to me and never met this person in my life and said, hey, you know, I have this beef with your cousin. Um, we had his altercation prior. I wasn't privy to it, didn't know about it at all. Comes up to me and says, hey, like, I, I still want to like go after your cousin. I can't find him. So if I can't find him, I'm going to go after you. This is Otay High School. Otay High School. Okay. This is May 17, 2012, okay. to be exact. It was a Thursday. Uh, comes up to me. I don't forget this. No, I don't because the reason why is because he pulled a knife on me. Oh my gosh. And he, you know, he, he, he lunges forward to me and I, I remember all I had was my binder. Right. And I literally just dropped my binder and I'm like, okay. And then he backs up and then, you know, starts walking away. But then something triggered in me that, you know, angered me for him doing that. Okay. I think part of it was fight or flight still. So then I, I attacked him and said, you know, you know, why'd you do that? Mm-hmm. And I hurt him pretty badly. And so subsequently I got taken by one of the staff members, got taken to the principal's office, told that I was gonna get charged with assault with battery because technically I'm the one that hit him first, even though he put a knife on me. And unfortunately they never, they never found a knife on him. Yeah. So I got in trouble right there. They suspended me um, with potential of expulsion because they have a zero tolerance policy. Mm-hmm. I opted to not go back to that school because a lot of his friends were there and they were already threatening calling my grandma's house yeah. because at the time i was living with my grandma temporarily they were threatening her stuff like that they're going to come go, come after me i just didn't want to deal with that right and but i think or put them in harm's way again yeah but i think right there was that wake up call mm-hmm. again saying like hey even though technically I, I would say i defended myself mm-hmm. um there are ramifications for every action you do oh sure so that's when i realized right there that i can't even think about anything and doing anything nefarious in the future. Right. So I told my mom, I said, look, I'm gonna leave Old Town Ranch. I'm not gonna go to regular high school. I'm gonna go to a charter school. Because I had read online about, you know, how independent learning, how mm-hmm. you can learn at your own pace. And I like that. I like yeah. being, I, I, I love my solitude. I feel like I can focus more when I'm by myself. Okay. Uh, and so I found a school by Hoover High School, which is in City Heights. Uh-huh. Um, I know exactly where Hoover is. Right right up the street from Hoover. It's um, Diego Hills okay. Charter School. Which is not I know where that is, too. Yeah. Boulevard. Yeah. yeah. So I went there from pretty much, I had to retake some of my ninth grade credits. Because okay. mind you, when I got suspended, I couldn't take my finals. Yeah. So therefore, I, I technically. Kind of messes up that whole semester. Yeah. I technically flunked out of the ninth grade oh because of that. So I had to recoup some units, obviously, go into 10th grade. And I just felt very in, uh, reinvigorated in terms of like my motivation. I, I remember just taking so many credits, learning, going week after week. Because basically how it worked is they give you a packet. Okay. You t- take it for the whole week and then you take an exam every week. So before wow. you can go on to the next credit, you have to take an exam every week. Okay. That was a test. You know, wow. they give you the leisure of studying at home. You better, you know, put it, put, put in the work so that way right. you can show that you're actually learning. And so 
Now, did you excel? Oh, yeah. Like, did you, because yeah. you were at your own pace, yeah. did you go faster than? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that's, that's really not because I would technically should have graduated in 2015. Right. I graduated a year early. Yeah. And that does not surprise me. In 2014. Knowing you as well as I do, <laughs> that does not surprise me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, took, I took all the units I could. Yeah. And, um, yeah, took all those classes, everything. And I got to 2014. Mm -hmm. Um, right on the cusp, I was like, oh man, should I finish? Because, you know, I, I was like, oh, I could just push it to 2015 because technically I was ahead of schedule. But right. my mom was like, no, I want to see you graduate now. I still Good remember the, the day I graduated. My, that's the day that my mom told me she never graduated high school. Oh my gosh. And the reason she waited that long is because she didn't want me to have that. Right. Mindset. You didn't want, she didn't want you to have that out. My mom did it, so that, it's right. It's a very prevalent thing. Yeah, so, it happens, man. Um, I graduated. Especially that, especially that generation. Oh, yeah. Okay, because I've had the exact same thing happen in my life yeah. where somebody came to me that's very, very close to me and, and admitted to me after I graduated high school that they had never graduated high I was yeah. floored. Yeah. So the smartest people I know in my life and I was just like, yeah. really? Yeah. It was humbling and I didn't know that because I was raised by a single mom, mm -hmm. you know, and, and technically, yeah, City High School, I could consider it a bad neighborhood. Yeah. Um, and for her to tell me that, it was, it was the culmination of a lot of hard work, but I, I still remember that same day I ran into one of my teachers and he said what are you going to do with your life and I said I don't know I said we'll see you know mm -hmm. and he's like well how about community college I didn't even know community college existed okay and so he introduced me to a rep now, this was a teacher that said this teacher my, not, my, not a guidance counselor so like you didn't have a counselor that you went and talked no, to my math teacher Mr. Oh, wow. I still remember yeah he, he looks like the guy from criminal minds yeah uh, the, the super smart guy yeah yeah the PhD guy yeah. he looks just like a super smart same same one yeah what awesome. do and he said I said, I don't know. He's like, well, how about community college? He introduced me to someone that he knew that worked at San Diego City College. And okay. Helped me fill out my application. Helped me file for financial aid. And I started community college two months later in August of 2014. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. You know, I just knew that I love school now. And I'm here and I'll figure it out. Um, can I, I'm sorry. Can I interrupt for just a second? Yeah. So let's go back for just a second. It's okay. Yeah. Let's go back to that day in 2000, it was 2012? When I got in trouble? May 17th? Yeah, May 17th. May 17th, 2012. Yeah. What made you decide that you were gonna go the direction you went? In other words, yeah. right? Because you had two ways you yeah, could go. Yeah. You yeah. could have gone yeah. down a path that would have been really ugly, Yeah. right? What made you decide to go the right, to go the path that you took? So. I think to answer that question, I have to go back even further. Okay, it's okay. So when, I, when my dad was in my life, mm -hmm. growing up, I always tell people this if they want to hear. People ask me, well, what do I see success in? This is to answer your question as mm -hmm. well. The way that I look at success is doing my, is basically doing whatever means necessary to hit that number one spot in any facet of life. So okay. if you're in sports, you got to be number one. Okay. If you're working in escrow, you got to be the top producer. Okay. That's how I've always saw it because growing up, my dad always told me that you have to be number one. Okay. And when I played sports, I played football and soccer and baseball. Baseball was my best sport. Okay. I recall every single day going to school and training one sport or the other. Okay. Every day. Even when I was practicing my team or when I was just on my off days, my dad would always have me train. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't the notion of, you know, you're just training to get better, of course, but it's a mentality. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I think made it over the top is my dad was also very abusive. Very, to you? Yes, very physically abusive. There would be times, for instance, when me and him were just training baseball, I made a mistake, he could throw the ball and then try to hit me. Ooh. Yeah, that's punishment. Wow. You know, or go run five laps. You know, punishment like that where it's physical. 
And there's a, a point that I always reflect on. It happened many times, but there was one specific part. I was probably around 11 years old, about a year before I stopped seeing my dad. Mm-hmm. I was pitching a game, baseball. And I didn't play as well as I should have, of course. Every dog has their day, everybody sure. has an off day. Yeah. But to my dad, that's not acceptable. Yeah. And I remember I went home. I was playing for the Giants, I remember this, for the, for the minors. And my dad made me take off each piece of my jersey in the garage, locked me there for six hours, and said, you're not worthy to wear that uniform. In the garage. In the garage. And for six hours. For six hours. You couldn't leave. You couldn't leave. He gave me water, but he said you're not worthy to wear that uniform. And told me hour by hour that I wasn't worthy. So when I tell people that's what I see success as because where it was physically ingrained into me, yeah. that notion of having to be number one. Finally, when my dad wasn't in my life, I felt liberated not having to worry about that person behind me. Yeah. But it, it was always still there. I already had the... Isn't it fascinating mm-hmm. how his standard is still with you to like I oh, can yeah. see it today. Oh yeah, yeah. That's just yeah. and he hasn't been here since two thousand eight. The thing is, I got a lot of things like traits wise that I've learned from my father that I still have to this day. Yeah. One of them being is just being well spoken. Yeah. My dad was like that. I used to see his movements, hand gestures. He was a bona fide salesperson. So he was articulate. Very articulate. Very charismatic. Very persuasive. And anything that he did, if he was likable and anything that he did in terms of his job and stuff like that. Gotcha. Uh, like I said, but he always had that notion of having to be the best. And of course, with his respective downfall was his substance abuse and his, and his drug uses. But yeah. uh, for the most part, I think he raised a strong son. Mm-hmm. It's just the manner that which he did it may not have been the most permissible or yeah. most legally good. But yeah, I'd say that one example really defined my life in terms of what it really means to be successful because yeah. it got to a point where my dad was like you're not worthy to wear that because you have wow. not performed to that expectation and like i said you shouldn't tell a kid that in hindsight um but it did leave a mark on me because like i said when i stopped seeing my dad i kind of felt liberated yeah i still always had in the back of my head of what i had to do to be successful yeah so i remember when i was 12 years old and this is like probably like i said the year that i stopped seeing my dad for the time i told my mom right away i said I don't know where I'm going to be in 10 years, mom, but I know I'm going to be better than all my friends. Yeah. I told my mom that when I was 12 years old and she believed me because I already felt that I already had the foundation from my dad. Mm -hmm. Even though it was done in a very messed up way, I already had the recognizance to understand what was left and what was right or what was right and what was wrong. You know, what's amazing is if you look at people who have succeeded at a very high level, a lot of them have a story that's similar to yours in terms of what they've dealt with and it wasn't necessarily you know it was it wasn't necessarily the best yeah but it left an impression oh yeah absolutely and they want to go out and make the world better yeah right yeah i mean we're going to talk about that in a few minutes but they want to go out and make the world better because of what they experience like there's there's a drive in them right yeah. that just it's a it's like a fire it's, it's, an it's unexplainable I, yeah. i'd say now if someone's to ask me what motivates me every day it's, I'm, I'm, it's just something that's second nature yeah i don't need any actual motivation to get me out of bed yeah so like i said when i was 12 years old onwards um i sort of had that freedom where i was kind of like yeah should i do school or should i do something else i knew whatever i would do I well, you had a choice you were at a fork in the road yeah. where you could have gone exactly yeah. so what all comes mm-hmm. into play is when i went when i was 12 years old i moved basically to city heights mm-hmm. i went to middle school that's where i got introduced to all my friends that were involved in the streets yeah so like i said i was still going to school doing moderately well but i still had them as like an hey, influence right? an influence to say hey you know you can still do this bad thing and mind you all of my family are were 
at the time, current or former gang members. You know, I'm third generation. My mom was a gang member, my dad was a gang member, my grandfather, my grandma, it's, it's, the, it's, it's generational. Yeah. And so, but they never promoted it. It was just, I grew up in that environment and I saw it every day. So I was fairly accustomed to what was going on. Right. And so when I got to, like I said, May 17, 2012, I finally realized this is not the life for me. Yeah. Because even with the threat of me potentially going to jail, I knew that stuff, that, that wasn't for me. Right. So that was enough to definitely scare me and say, right. you know, Rudy, you're not invincible. Even though you may have defended yourself and you may be in the right, who's to say a next event you're going to be in the wrong? Can I ask you a question? Mm -hmm. Were you arrested on May 17th? No. No. The so you went, you went to the principal's office. They said they could, ex they could, they're suspending you with possible expulsion, yeah. right? And then they threw, and they threw that out there saying that if they wanted to press charges, they would charge me with assault with battery. It never got to that point. Though. Okay. So you never, it, no. You, so the cops never showed up. They, okay. No, the, well, I did see the school campus police. Okay. Then, but that wasn't in terms of police. He was just saying that haphazardly, but no, for the most part, it, I didn't get, again, of course, physically arrested, but it was that possible threat that made me realize that, you know what, even if I got away this time, who's to say I'm not going to get away the second time, yeah, right? You never know, right? That's true. And so that just re reinstated the, the notion of that I'm not invincible, mm -hmm. which a lot of people, especially at a young age, they think they are, whatever they do. Yeah. They think they can get away with a lot of stuff. And they so, think they're bulletproof, yeah. Yeah, so that's the thing. It, and um, I realized right there, you know, that I can't do that. And so... It sort of like snapped me back into that mindset of like having to be the best. Because like I said, I, I wasn't gonna do moderately well whatever I did, but I didn't have that, because I, like I said I didn't have that person over me. Mm -hmm. I ended up becoming my own person in that sense. Yeah. Like in my own mind telling me, you know what, you, you, you gotta stay on track. Amazing how flashpoints in your life just, yeah. you know, it, it, and it literally can affect people differently, right? Yeah. Like different ways they can go. Yeah. Okay, so let's go, sorry to interrupt. So let's go back to, so you go to San Diego Community College. Yep. How did that go? Very well. So uh, my first semester, it was of course a learning experience, oh, trying sure. to navigate things. Um, but it, for the most part, it was pretty well. It was pretty well. I mean, I took my classes. That's the only time I ever got a B. Now, how old are you when you're eighteen years old? Okay. okay. Eighteen years old. Yeah. So okay. um, just you know, grinding, you know, taking yeah. the college, taking the bus to get to school. I didn't have a car at the time. Okay. So I was just taking classes. And I started liking history, started liking business. Yeah. And you combine the two, I was like, hey, let me get a, a double major, essentially. And um, that's that's pretty much how I proceeded. Um, so, I, you, so you got a major, so you majored in history and business. business. Yeah. Okay, that's and cool. And so it got to the point where I was like, hey, I got to start applying for transfer. I'm not going to stay mm -hmm. community college forever. So it got to around 2016, two mm -hmm. years in, where I was like, okay, let me pick the schools. And I settled upon the University of California, San Diego, um, UC Berkeley, and UCLA. Only thing I have ever heard about Berkeley, for instance, was from my grandmother. Mm -hmm. She always said, like, oh, if you, if you can get into Berkeley, that's a big thing. Never really heard of UCSD, even though I'm from San Diego. Right. But I heard about UCLA. So I was like, you know what? I'll just apply to those schools. Sure. Um, I applied in 2016. I got notified in 2017, around April, for all three that I got accepted to all of them. Right. Um, that was a proud moment because I, cool. I, I still remember reading the acceptance letter specifically for UCLA and my mom crying. Yeah. Because she's just like, for her, that's the she raised a son that was able to go that far, uh, and yeah, it was like I said, it was a culmination of a lot of hard work. But I knew I wasn't done. Yeah. So I, I was just typing the schools, and then I got an email probably like a week after I got it to all three from UCSD specifically saying, "Hey, you qualify for the Chancellor Associate Scholarship, which is the Fulbright Scholarship, uh, basically because of your grades, had a near perfect four GPA." Um, and so I was like, you know, I'm just gonna stay local to San Diego. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm already from here, mm -hmm. but I will live on campus. 
because of course I want to you know be in, be involved and do everything I can. And so yeah, I, I accepted the scholarship. Started in the summer of 2017. Mm -hmm. I did a summer bridge program. Yeah. I took two classes to basically get ahead on credits. Sure. Knocked those out, and then from August of 2017, 2019, went to UCSD for two years. I worked three jobs at the time, so My I was goodness. a tutor and I was a mentor for two organizations, uh, while still maintaining a 4.0 GPA. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So. Let me ask you about the tutor and the mentor thing. Yeah. So what did being a tutor teach you? It taught me how to communicate with people. Okay. Uh, specifically, um, explaining seemingly complex topics and breaking them down and keeping them in a simplistic way. Okay. It's sort of like what Einstein said, if you, in anything in life, if you know something, but you don't know how to explain it to a stranger, you don't really know it. Yeah. So that's what it really reminds that's me true. of. Like, hey, if I know a concept about writing, about grammar, something that can seem foreign to a lot of people, especially at UCSD, you have complicated, people, that kind of thing. You yeah. have people from everywhere in the, in the world. Yeah. If you can't explain that, you're not a good writer yourself. Gotcha. And so that was a good thing because I also got to be a better writer myself. Right. And I found as I tutored more, I did in fact become a better writer. Yeah. Because I, I got- It's amazing how that works. If you're gonna master something, yeah. go teach it, Yeah. right? If you can teach it and you can do it in an effective way, that's mastery. Yeah. And, and I learned different writing strategies because obviously I'm reading different people's papers, yeah. how they would go about things, how they reason things, mm -hmm. and it was amazing. And yeah. that was a very humbling experience because I got to especially also teach people who were in remedial classes mm -hmm. in UCSD yeah. in writing programs yeah. and see them blossom into college level writing. Yeah. I, I remember I, I still have a student because there's a writing program in UCSD called Forgot what the actual full name is, AWP, okay. which is Remedial English. Okay. So people may, may, for example, they're at UCC, but English is their second language. Right. So they're there trying to get accustomed to the actual grammar and rigor. I had this one student where she literally started in AWP, came to me for tutoring. We went over all her papers, talked about analysis, how to structure a paper, how to construct a thesis, you know, make an argument. And literally within a year's time, she passed that class and then passed all her three writing, her college level writing classes, where it was so beautiful because by the time that I started training new tutors, uh -huh. when they were shadowing me, mm -hmm. that same student was in one of my sessions and she was finishing my sentences. That's awesome. Because she already knew what I was gonna say, yeah. she was anticipating what I was gonna say. And it was just beautiful because that's where that I was, beautiful. she picked up on what, I, what we were teaching. That's like magic, Yeah, man. that's a big deal. So I was very proud. And then for the mentorship, same thing. I'm just mentoring new transfer students mm -hmm. or students that are in the same major, same you know um, career for that they wanna pursue. And it's just it's just beautiful, you know. You sit down a specific time, meet with them, just ask them about life. Mm -hmm. So instead of just talking shop or school, you can say, "How's your day going?" You know, um, I'm here for you as a resource. Find them resources if they have a question. Right. Like just being that liaison for somebody really can help them a lot. Yeah, coming yeah. alongside them is a big deal, yeah. man. And what's interesting is I gave a talk at UCSD 2018. It was interesting because there was a student um, that I had grown up with. Uh, many years ago in middle school mm -hmm. and he was a friend that he actually got shot in a drive-by shooting and he got put in a wheelchair but oh, I had totally goodness. forgot about him because it had been many years and the reason I bring this story because I was at UCSD and gave a talk mm -hmm. about something about school and after the talk this person in a wheelchair who mind you from when I saw it during the talk they looked familiar but I couldn't put their yeah, name quite yeah, yeah. I'm like I've seen this person before but they ended up coming up to me yeah and they said hey Rudy do you remember me and I said no with all due respect I don't remember you and they said, um, I went to middle school with you, Rudy. And they said, you were the reason I didn't kill myself. And I said, oh my said, goodness. He said, yes. He said, when I lost my legs, you were telling everybody, do not bully me. 
And I said, man, I don't remember that at all, but I really appreciate that. That is so cool. And that's what I realized, the power of the voice, the power of being there for somebody. Because like I said, I, I personally- And leadership, that's leadership, man. I personally didn't re- uh, like remember that, that whole situation, but for someone to say, you know, that I played a pivotal role in their life, yeah. That's saved where, their life. That's that's what he was telling you. That's where I realized that not only did my success, but also my actions really rub off on people. Yeah. That's when I finally realized. That's it. why we're doing this thing. Yeah. Right? That's literally why we're doing and this thing. We're doing was, this thing because we know we're going to rub off on people. Yeah. And people are going to connect to your story, I guarantee it. Yeah, and it was very powerful. So, um, yeah, and then when, when I went, you know, that was 2018, moved in 2019. Um, I had the intention of going to law school. Mm-hmm. This was all the intention, you know, I had degree grades and everything. And then finally in twenty in June of twenty nineteen, I graduated. Um, that's when I was notified that I graduated in the top six on my graduating class. I was actually the out of four hundred, right? Four hundred. I was actually notified that I was the only Hispanic on that top six list. Yeah. And it's interesting because I still remember when I first started UCSD and I got to meet a whole two of people. Of course I met them throughout my entire time there, but I remember when I first went there. I met a lot of people where their parents were legacies. I mean, and, you know, they went to UCSD or they went to Harvard, Yale. And I had, I had this one good friend. His dad went to Cornell, went to Harvard. His mom was like board of trustees at, at Preuss. Yeah. Super well-established family. But I remember I always told my friends, hey, I respect where you guys come from. But at the end of the day, no one's going to beat me. Yeah. And it's that mindset where every single day I had to be the best. Because how I looked at it growing up, I never looked at my environment as an impediment. And that's the one thing that I can really attribute to my life is that's when they were held me back. Yeah. That's why I saw a lot of people get held back from. They say, oh, I'm from X neighborhood. And they made that an excuse. Therefore, I'm gonna to conform to X expectations yeah. and become that. And I think I had a great mother, but I also had a great uncle. Um, he was that father figure in my life. And he always told me growing up, never blame your environment, blame your effort. Ooh. At a young age, he told me that. Ooh, he's, I like that. He's a sheriff. I'm going to steal that. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I remember, in, and, and, and even when I was younger, whenever I act out or, you know, talk back, he never yelled at me. Total opposite of my dad. Yeah. But he just reasoned with me and said, look, I know where you came from. I know what you've experienced. I don't negate that at all. Yeah. But I will tell you, life doesn't hit you in the mouth. Your uncle, is that your dad's brother? No, it's my mom's brother. Okay. So yeah. is it possible that he knew how your dad treated you? Yes, he actually almost... Maybe he's counterbal- trying to counterbalance He that. actually almost got into it, my dad, before protecting me yeah. when that whole divorce happened because it was contentious where my dad did get arrested because he came to my grandma's house because at the time we were living with my grandma post-divorce where it was still going on and he threatened my family and my dad. My uncle at the time, was he just he just started becoming a, a deputy sheriff. Mm-hmm. He went, went out there and, you know, told my, 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 my dad, you know, you're not welcome in this house. And my dad was trying to physically get in, so they called the cops and they had my dad arrested. Mm-hmm. So that was their last sort of interaction mm-hmm. between each other. But my uncle always was like that father figure with me. I, I, he's like a big brother. And he, like I said, he's still a sheriff to this day and he joined the Air Force. Like just, for me, that was my role model. Mm-hmm. That was the expectation of like, you know, that's the human being I wanna be because he wasn't only just a hard worker like me, mm-hmm. just a great human being. Like I, I've never seen my uncle cry, I've never seen my uncle complain, it's just put out and that's it. And yeah, I remember he sat me down one day and said, look Rudy, whatever you want to be in life, I'm, I'm there for you, but I don't want you to adopt a mindset of, of a victimhood. Mm-hmm. Because my uncle, in, in the same fashion, he grew up in the same neighborhood, mm-hmm. City Heights, and he watched his own brother, my other uncle, get sentenced to life in prison. Oh my gosh. In 1997. And you gotta think what that even does to somebody like him too, yeah. especially back then he was even worse. Like ripples on a pond, man. But my uncle told me, I saw my own brother get sentenced to life in prison. 
what do you think that would have done to me? He said, I had to make my own conscious decision. Yeah. And then when he put it into perspective like that, it made me realize I'm not the only one that goes through pain. Yeah. Everybody goes through pain. Absolutely. But it's fundamentally up on, upon the individual whether or not they actually want to act on it it's, or choose it's to It's a decision. Yeah, it's a decision that you make. So that right there was always there. Mm -hmm. And so as I progressed through life, not only did I have the motivation of I want to be successful, by the time I got to UCSD, I already knew what I had to do to be successful. Yeah. I, I didn't have any worry, any qualms at all. Like I literally told my friends, you're gonna sit over there in that classroom. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna sit over here, we're competitors. Yeah. Outside, we're friends. But in this classroom, I'm gonna be number one. And a lot of people, that may be too forthright, but that's how I see it. Not too forthright for me. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I've always saw it. It's a champion it's, mindset, it's that simple. I, right? I always believed in myself, and that's well, the thing. But it's also, you know, it's your identity, right? And, and ultimately, Ultimately, that's part of what drives you. So it's yeah. it's you being congruent and consistent with who you are. Yeah. That's I mean, dude, that's something people should respect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not that's not something somebody would or should should criticize you for. Yeah. I mean, people will criticize you for. Yeah, you, I mean, the person doesn't affect me. It's just things yeah. that I've always considered. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing. I'm not a perfect human being. I make no pretense to be imperfect. Of course, we're always growing. But in terms of my success, I've always looked at it like. I'm never gonna allow myself to never get my best effort. Right. And anything that I do, I at least gotta try. So yeah, that's inspirational. I mean, you're inspiring people right now. I guarantee you, you are. Yeah. You're inspiring me. <laughs> so let me ask you something. Yeah. So we talked earlier with your sister yeah. in your office. Yeah. And we were talking about law school. Yeah. So let's talk about the law school thing for a second. Yeah. You mentioned I asked you why law school, and you mm -hmm. said, well, because. Go ahead. Uh, you know, just upbringing. You know, I saw. Mm -hmm. I would say I saw injustices growing up. Also, like I said, my own family. I've, I've been involved in incarceration, so I always felt that there was a duty to see if I can always help somebody. In that sense, you know, if they got involved in, in a crime or they were doing nefarious behavior, whether they were right or wrong, it wasn't my decision. It was just my job to be if I can help them. Right. And I thought law would be the agency to be like, you know, everybody, this is where you can step your hand into that into that arena and see if you can just help somebody anything. So let me ask you, if you went to law school, or let's let's say it this way, yeah. when you go to law school, because yeah. I'm gonna stay on you until you do, I guarantee you. Yeah. So when you go to law school, yeah. are you gonna be are you when you graduate law school, are you gonna be a public are you wanting to be a public defender? Not public defender, I'd probably do appellate. Um, maybe okay. maybe like because that's more like appellate, I mean uh, public defender is more like local. Yeah. I'd probably try to do federal. Okay. I want to do the big boy cases. Okay. So anything that happens on a large scale, I try to do that. Appellate, constitutional, stuff like that. Stuff that I can argue in front of like the, the circuit courts. Okay. Not just the smaller superior courts. Okay. Not only because it's um, bigger in notoriety, but also because they're, they can be more challenging. Yeah. And I don't want cases that are going to be easy. I want the complex stuff. I want the stuff that nobody wants. That does not surprise me. You know? So <laughs> that's, that's the reason why. And that's the reason why, for instance, like we're Mr. Upper Echelon, right? <laughs> yeah, it's just more so challenging. Yeah. That's what I want to do because I feel like the greater risk, the greater the reward. Sure. And that's how I always looked at life. If if I never was proactive and no one would ever gave me anything, yeah. I had to go out there and be you know proactive, work hard every day, and just keep my mouth shut. And only, how I looked at it growing up, and I and I have this affirmation now. Every day that I wake up, I always tell myself I blame no one but myself. Yeah. And anything that I do, I look in the mirror every day. If I make a decision, it's on me, whether it's good or bad. If I want to go out and be successful, it's on me. Right. And that's why I look at the same thing with escrow, law school, anything. It's totally incumbent upon me, and I'm the determiner of my destiny. Right. And that's why I think that's a lot hard part a lot of people have to understand. 
is because we're so accustomed to just doing what either our parents tell us to do or what our friends tell us to do that we get lost in the moment and actually realize, you know, we can actually do stuff for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Do something that you love. Mm -hmm. Don't just do what everybody wants you to do. Don't conform to the expectation that someone has for you. Make your own expectations. All right. And anything in life. If you want to go do be a firefighter, go be a firefighter. If you want to do something with animals, go to some animals. Mm -hmm. Live your life for you because honestly, like how I've realized that life is freaking short. Yeah, it is. It's too freaking short to worry about living a life that you do not want to live. I agree. But I see it every day. You even go to a local stores. I told my mom this recently. You go to stores, you see how happy people are. Mm -hmm. And it's because they're not living the life that they want to live. I agree with that. You know, 100%. And, 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 but, it, but it rubs off on how they conduct themselves. I totally agree. With people. I totally For agree. For me, I wake every day very happy and very blessed. Why? Because I'm doing what I'm intending to do, but also what I put myself here to do. Right. You know, no one gave me this. You know, I put myself here, and of course, I have to prove it every single day. Right. But if I can do it, other people can do it. Yeah, you gotta bring it. And that's the hard part. Like, growing up, it's so easy to just make excuses. Yeah. That's all I did. A lot of people live their lives doing nothing but making excuses. Right? And sometimes those are the grumpiest people you'll ever meet. Right? And because they're absolutely not in control of their lives. Somebody else is in control yeah. of their lives, and they're not happy about it. It's, it's even interesting. So, like, even when I grew up and I stopped hanging around my friends that were bad and doing and bad things in terms of like crime and stuff like that, it was split into two camps. Mm -hmm. In one camp, I had people who were from the neighborhood where they respected that I wanted to change mm -hmm. and said, hey man, go do what you gotta do, be successful. Then I had another camp where I would say those are still the ones that are always gonna be the victims. Yeah. Where no matter what you do, they're gonna say, oh, you think you're better. And it's like, no, yeah. I, don't, I don't think I, I'm better. And they wanna drag you down to where they are. Yeah, I yeah. got called a sellout, X, Y, and Z. Absolutely. Names, but I always told them, look, I don't take it personal what you tell me. I'm trying to live my life for myself. Yeah. And you should do the same thing. By do the way, that's the best response you can have to somebody who's yeah. trying to criticize you, is I'm not taking it personally, yeah. right? Yeah. I totally get where you're coming from. Yeah. And I'm really sorry that you feel that way. There was a point. And that's it, right? Yeah. There was a point, I think it was like in 2016, where I was at a public excursion and I had someone say that out loud. I just walked away. Yeah. The older movie might have said something. Yeah. But at that point, I was like, I knew what I got to get done in life. I don't worry about that stuff. Yeah. And it's interesting because... You're even, certain about your path. Even when I was younger and people used to bully me for believing in myself, people would always say, oh, you, you know, you just think you're too smart. They would call me big head because my head was big and I was doing good in school. And I would say, I don't take I've never gotten that. I've never gotten the big And uh, they call me Jimmy Neutron. Something, something <laughs> stupid like that. But it's always funny because I always knew, like I said, I told my mom when I was younger, that I would have the last laugh. I would be successful. I would get it done. And it's interesting now where those people that made fun of me, try to bully me, they come back in my life saying, hey, how's it going? Yeah. And I'm like, I don't forget. Yeah. I don't, I, I'm not mad at you, but right. I don't forget what you told me. Exactly. You know, we can be cool, but I'm just going to always remember what you told me when I was younger. Oh, I would never be anything because... It's interesting too because that's what I've always been told is that I'm, I was never going to be successful. Mm -hmm. My family believed me because of my family, but people that, you know, friends, that other people didn't believe me. And the last thing that my dad ever told me was I would never be successful. So uh, the last. Really? Thing, yeah. So this that's is interesting. This is this. I always give the. This is the same man that we're built, basically yeah. thanking. Built me up. Yes. Yeah. We're thanking him pretty much every day, aren't we? I, I analogize that. So just to. That's fascinating. My dad raised me how he raised me. The last time I ever saw my dad was December 25th, 2008, Christmas yeah. Day. Went to Christmas to my grandma's house because my dad was living at my grandma's. We had the house, it was during the recession. The yeah. house got foreclosed on. Right before I went back to my mom, he sat me down and said, look, Rudy, I know I taught you everything. 
to be successful. I want those men to never be successful without me. That was his, of him trying to keep me or keep some sort of semblance at all, or keep me down. Yeah. As I got older, and this is something that he always told me when I was younger, you, you understand when you're older, he goes for anything. I realized what he said now is two things. He was living his life through me mm -hmm. because I got inklings that his childhood wasn't the best, mm -hmm. and so he was trying to live to his son. Mm -hmm. Number two is he didn't believe in himself. He stopped living. Mm -hmm. So he wanted me to stop living. Yeah. And that's where I realized, oh, I got it now. Yeah. I'm not going to fall victim to that. Amazing how you put that together. Yeah. And I, I sort of analogize to like Frankenstein, where Frankenstein was created with an intention of being a certain somebody mm -hmm. and ended up being someone that was not. Yeah. In that instance, Frankenstein became evil or something like that. Right. In my instance, I became a good person. Yeah. But my dad wanted me to be an angry person. Yeah. He wanted me to still, of course, be moderately good or good successful, but still be angry at other people. Because the way that I was trained growing up is you win by any means necessary. Yeah. And there were many instances where I had to do things at the order of my dad. Yeah. For instance, when we were playing baseball, um, there was an opposing coach that my dad did not like. Mm -hmm. And the coach's son was a catcher. And my dad said, if you go on base, I want you to crack his son. Stuff like that. This was 10 years old stuff. Yeah. Really? That's how brutal it was. And that's, wow. that's the thing that it was always instilled. You win by any necessity, you always have to send a message. So if you begin from that, you have to understand the person I'm dealing with. Mm -hmm. They have no moral compass. Yeah. They're willing to put that all aside to be number one. Yeah. But what does it get you? Yeah. It creates enemies. It does. You know, I'd rather be successful. Of course, I want to have critics here and there. That's life. But I don't want to create an enemy where I have someone hate. Well, let's let's talk about it for just a second because I know I know this is not long, but you know, there's but there's a thing called fulfillment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you get to where you're going to be, yeah. but if you step on people getting there, you're not going to feel as fulfilled as you are if you're just if you just go out and do it the right way, yeah. right? Yeah. Have integrity. Doesn't mean you can't be competitive. Yeah, it's having integrity, have honor, but yeah, have just a basic. Do it the right way. Have a basic form of respect, yeah. not for yourself, but also people around you. You know, and that's that's the thing that I've always got taught, but it was also like. You're teaching me to respect everybody, but yet you can't even follow that same creed because you're right. telling me to do it by any means necessary, right? So I started to realize, you know what? I don't want that for myself. And the reason I didn't want that as well is because, like I said, where I came from growing up, mm -hmm. I had to watch my back. Yeah. It's not a great feeling. Yeah. It's honestly not a great. And it's the one time where I really thought about taking my own life because mm -hmm. I didn't want to watch. I didn't want to watch my back no more because just being from a certain neighborhood, being associated with certain friends will put you in a certain camp that obviously by definition creates enemies. Mm -hmm. Because if someone says, hey, you're from that side, I'm from this side, now we have a beef that I personally never met that person, right? Right. Not a fun feeling. So I always saw growing up, whatever I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do it right, but I'm also gonna do it from a moral perspective where I can go to bed at night. Right. Not having to worry because I do have a conscience. Yeah, and you gotta I, get up the next morning and look yes. at yourself in the mirror, right? I don't wanna have that. I don't wanna go to the grave having to say, oh, this person was a piece of crap mm -hmm. because of how he conducted himself. It's sort of like, you don't want to become successful, you don't want to acquire wealth through nefarious means or being a person that's wicked or someone that's deceitful. That's right. not how I want to do my business. Yeah. And it's like now doing escrow, I try to do every transaction the same way, whether I do it for a $100,000 transaction or a multi-million dollar transaction. I treat people the same way. I give them the same attention, the same experience, same work product, everything. Because and by the way, I, I can attest to that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but I just say fundamentally, it's just consistency. Yeah. If I'm consistent all the time, I don't ever have to worry about going up and down. Yeah. It's sort of like 
saying something that's the truth and also lying. Because I think Mark Twain said it. A good liar or a liar in general always has to remember what they said. said yeah. Because it's so unnatural. Right. Rather, I want to be natural. So I want to be naturally good. Right. I want to be naturally truthful. I want to be naturally consistent. Very wise, man. You know what I mean? Very wise. So it's like stuff like that. And growing up, of course, my childhood is now in hindsight. I can talk about it. I would say if this was 10 years ago, I probably wouldn't talk about certain yeah. things. But now that I've, I've gotten to the point that I'm at, I'm like, you know what? For instance, like with my father, I don't hate the man. Yeah. I don't hate him at all. Do I need to talk to him to, to give me closure? No, not at all. The reason I don't is because I know how my dad is. I know how he can be manipulative. So even if I got an answer, I don't even know if I would be have closure for myself. Right. I'd be like, ah, oh, that's probably a waste of time. Yeah. Or I may have had a high expectation and I might have got lost. Like, yeah. I, I think either or I don't win in that situation. I think lack of expectations in that situation is probably better. Yeah. I think I just think honestly it's not a waste of time. But I, like I said I, I have no hatred, no ill will. Yeah. I'm perfectly fine where I'm at in terms of a mental perspective. Um and it's just all about keep growing. Yeah. That's literally what it is. So let me ask you this. Why after graduating from UCSD, uh-huh. why did you pick escrow? And what what yeah. What happened? How did that come about? So I was going to go to law school, or right. I was intending to take just one gap year and just work any part-time job that I could get. Right. And so I remember um, I graduated in June 2019, started just applying jobs on a school portal at UCSD. They have a portal called Handshake. Mm-hmm. It just, it's like LinkedIn, yeah. but for UCSD students. Um, and I just applied to any jobs, legal, anything legal. And uh, you know, for, <laughs> fortuitously, a legal job that came up was an escrow assistant job. In La Jolla. Interesting. It was under legal. So I was like, all right, I'm going to apply. I didn't even know what escrow was. Right, right. I didn't know what it was at all. And I applied. I got a call back from the from the owner of the company. Yeah. He says, hey, you want to come and interview? I said, yeah. Is and he an attorney? Yeah, he's an okay. attorney. Okay. from uh, Thomas Jefferson School of Law. There you go. And I was like, all right. I'll Which go. is here in San Diego. Yeah. yeah. So I went to the interview, and it was funny because this is where I learned the importance of first impressions even more, mm-hmm. especially in business. Because like I said, I was just always in the classroom. Yeah. I was not accustomed to the real life business. I remember I didn't even take a copy of my resume. It's like, go there originally. Because I had just emailed it to him, thinking that he just, and I remember he scolded me for that. He's like, you should always bring a copy of your resume. And I was like, good to know. Yeah. I did not know that. Well, I thought right away, I was like, oh, I need this job. Yeah. Because he was that upfront with me. Yeah. And so we started talking, and then he's like, you know what escrow is? I think I Googled it like five minutes before. Yeah. And I was like, oh, the transfer of funds, mm-hmm. you know, from from a buyer, from a buyer to seller. And he's like, good enough. Yeah. And then he started talking. He's like, so when do you start? And I was like, I can start on Monday. He's like, all right. And I remember I started, it was, I think it was July 19th, 2019. Mm-hmm. It was around that time. And just, I got thrown into the fray. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I had no idea. Not a lot of training. Just kind of through it. Okay. Yep. They put me into this to this department where it was docs. Mm-hmm. So I was just doing loan docs. Mm-hmm. I didn't do anything with opening, did anything with funding, just did loan docs, and that's it. And so I got to temporarily work with uh, the wife of the owner. She's an escrow officer for 25 years. She just showed me like the basic stuff and just came to the frame. Mm-hmm. So I just basically had a three month trial period where I just had to learn myself. Yeah. After that, and of course, I'm already very independent. I took notes. I would go home and study them, come back and try to apply them mm-hmm. in the office. And within three months, I got to a good speed where I was like, all right, I, I kind of got the hang of this. Okay. And But I realized, like, man, this is a very high volume type of work environment. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of clients, a lot of moving parts. You can't mess up. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I really learned that it doesn't teach you in school right. is the emotion aspect of business. Mm-hmm. 
of how easily people can go like that. Zero to 100. Very quickly. Yeah. And it was like astounding. I was like, I want to be a lawyer, but I'm like, am I ready to deal with people's emotions? Because you can have the super highs where people are like, good job, Rudy. You did a very good job. But then it could go to a super low of like, yeah. why did you make that mistake? All right. And it's like, how do you respond? And it happens, right? It's crazy. It's, it's like, unreal. And unreal. How do you manage your own emotions? Because do you take that personal? Right. Or do you just take it as, you know, they're just venting to me. I got to just take it in stride and roll with the punches. Well, for somebody that's a champion like you and has the mindset that you have, that's got to be difficult because what you do for a living is also personal. Very right. Precious. You take it personal. Yep. Right. Yeah. Very much is. And so. That's a real learning experience. It's, I it's, had, it's, so yeah. I had to temper my own emotions yeah. and just shut up yep. and just say, I'll let them, let them talk. I went through the same thing, by the way. As I progressed within 2019, 2020, I learned more knowledge incrementally because what, how I found is people would take time off. I'll have to jump in there and learn their role. That's right. So if someone from opening who did opening the escrow, opening the contracts, ordering everything, prelim and stuff mm -hmm. like that, I had to learn that on the fly. Yeah. If my funder wasn't there, where they just specifically their sole job was to help fund the loan and disperse checks, so, yeah. hey, Rudy, you're up to the plate. Yeah. And so it was just literally learning incrementally of an opportunity presented itself and just being a sponge. Yeah. I still remember even learning how to do a grant deed. Just the, the grant deed itself at nine o'clock at night with my escrow officer attorney. Wow. He was showing me how to draft it, showing me the correct verbiage, everything. Yeah. And we, I remember I would be there probably for like midnight sometimes. Mm -hmm where I was just learning. And like I said, I was still trying to study incrementally for law school. But then as you know, 2020, COVID happened. So I could have put everything on a, on a stall. I, I didn't really want to study no more because everything was moving to remote. Mm -hmm. Our company wasn't, but I know a lot of like companies were, but also law schools were moving remote. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm a very social human being right. when, I, when I need to be. I want to be in front of people. I don't want to go to law school. Well, at least you know that. I mean, at least you know that you're going to learn more effectively yeah. and you're going to do better yeah. in terms of instruction if it's live, yeah. right? At least you know that. I mean, a lot of people go into law school and they don't think about it. It doesn't occur to them, yeah. right? And then they go in and they do the remote thing and the remote thing doesn't work and end up quitting law school and not going back. Yeah. So at least you know that going in. So yeah. I'm, I'm excited for you to see to see what law school you end up at. I hope and also, I'm excited to see you graduate and the yeah. whole thing, man. This is yeah. this is really cool. So I'm going to go get my pom poms out of the, out of the closet. <laughs> yeah, so like I was saying, is I basically stayed at that company until around October 2020. Yeah. I knew I needed a change of scenery. Uh, not so much because of the work, but it was also because the bosses, they can get very toxic sometimes. Yeah. So I was like, you know, I need a different environment. Fly to multiple different places. It was very busy at the time in 2020, so with refis mm -hmm. and stuff like that, rates being low. And yeah, I mean, I applied to different um, escort companies, still intending to be an assistant. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm gonna be an assistant, I'm gonna try to start law school studying again for the LSAT. Right. Um, and I applied to many different companies. I stumbled upon here, mm -hmm. did like five interviews, super competitive, mm -hmm. um, and finally I got hired and I was like, I'll come here. But I, I remember during the interview process, I had told the owner and the manager, I can do what an escrow officer can do. Mm -hmm. And for someone to say that within a year's experience, it's a very big statement. Yeah. And I knew I had to stand by that if, I, if the time comes. And literally, fortuitously, two weeks in, the escrow officer that I got hired to work under quit. Wow. Quit abruptly. Unreal. And how that works. I remember coming on a Monday, it was in November of 2020, which is like two weeks after I started already. Mm -hmm. CEO calls me, they have no one to fill the seat. Can you perform? I said yes. 
And I remember as soon as I said yes, I got calls from so many different people. And mind you, that escrow officer was only just doing refinance at the mm -hmm. time, but still, just having that title now mm -hmm. and managing your own desk, it's a big thing. Yeah. Especially, again, a lot of files. So I took over those files, and I'd say I basically had a trial period from November of 2020 to around August of 2021. Mm -hmm. Through that time, of course, I was studying under different escrow officers. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of escrow officers here. Just learning, taking notes under the veterans, seeing what worked, seeing what didn't work, and sort of like developing my own system. So finally, by August of 2021, I got my first ever resale escrow. Like where I was, it was my escrow name on it. I'm managing it. And yeah, from 2021 of August to now, mm -hmm. we're doing excess. So this is August of 2023, 2021. right? No, we're, we're now in August yeah, of yeah, yeah. Two so now. two years, yeah. Two years now. So you've been here two years now? I'm the number two performer in the company. That's awesome, dude. The entire company now. That does not surprise me. No. And that's the thing, it's, um, it's it's interesting. I still remember when I got my that first resale escrow mm -hmm. two years ago. So nervous, so nervous. And I was like, because again, you have all these theories, all these systems that you want to employ. Now you actually got to put them in action. Yeah. Like, how do you formally say, "Hello, thank you so much for the new escrow." Mm -hmm. um, how do I get my packages out? You know, making those timelines in your head already where they become second nature. Yeah. So that way I can convey that to my agents and also sound confident. Because that's the one thing I learned. You have to sound confident and stand by it because yeah. people can sense that stuff, yeah. especially yeah. over the phone. You start stuttering, you start sounding ambivalent, they're gonna notice that. Yeah. And that's one of the ways that you lose clientele. Mm -hmm. Because if they sense like, you know, I can't really trust you, I'm never gonna do business with you. That's especially true. a financial transaction. That's true. So I had to learn to, you know, get the repertoire of sounding confident, having that, you know, that knowledge of everything that I learned mm -hmm. and put into action. And yeah, from August 2021, just slowly building up, scaling, scaling, scaling now. I have my own big team now. I'm probably gonna hire a fourth person and just doing consistent six figures every month. And yeah, it's, it's even in this market, it's, it's incredible. That's awesome. You know, a lot of escrow companies, they're not performing because it's, it's hard, it's low inventory, right? So you, you really, it's feast or family. Mm -hmm. you're, you're only as good as your last escrow. Yeah, and I that's why I always tell my team, you gotta work hard every day. You know, we gotta be here right at 8 a.m. We gotta put out why. Not because of my expectations, the client's expectations. Mm -hmm. Because if they don't like us, they'll go down the street. Well, your expectations are important too, because you're the leader, yeah, yeah. right? But it's 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 also passed down from the client. Because oh, sure. If I don't perform, mm -hmm. they go down the street. And bye, never okay. see them again, right? Yeah. That agent that you worked with, they'll go somewhere else. Absolutely. And that's why I always tell people: you cannot get too too overzealous with your with your relationships. Mm -hmm. You have to continue to cultivate them, continue to work on them, because if not, you know, people are not gonna stay. They're, they're gonna do what's best for them, and you gotta respect that. Mm -hmm. You can't take that personal, okay? If you understand that, then you gotta make sure that every transaction you work towards is hard. Exactly. Because if not, it can all be gone. You so know? I've been doing this 31 years, mm -hmm. and I had somebody that I'd used for 25. Yeah. Yeah, long time. And then I gave you a shot, <laughs> and you won me over. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it says something, man. Yeah. It and says something. That's all it takes, and that, and that goes for anybody in life, anything mm -hmm. in life. Is if you have one opportunity, you should literally work on that fully because sometimes that's only you're ever gonna get. Exactly. You never get another chance. Yeah, you're only gonna get one shot, <laughs> and you won me over. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about escrow. Yeah. So what are you seeing today in the marketplace? It's yeah. currently August of 2023. Yeah. Um, what are you seeing happening right now? It's definitely first and foremost high rates. Okay. So definitely seen in the eights, I've seen as high as ten percent, which is insane. Yeah. Uh, of course, low inventory. What that means for us from an escrow perspective, 
Um, our agents, of course, if they're producing, it's very well. But there's like extra officers through our company. I'm sure other companies as well where they're not producing as much, mm -hmm. so they're not getting a lot of business. Yeah. Um, there's almost no refis because yeah. interest rates are so high. You're seeing a lot of people asking more so for discounts mm -hmm. um, from, from whether it be agents or clients themselves, of course, because they want to cut costs because of the high interest rates. Whatever they can do to you know cut costs cut off, they mm -hmm. do it. Um, you're also seeing a lot of people, um, a lot of all cash transactions. I'm still seeing that. Yeah. A lot of investors. Um, definitely, there used to, I see very little private money lending. It's still straight all cash. Wow. You know, LLC corporations, the whole nine. Um, quick closes still if mm -hmm. they can, but for the most part, yeah, that's that's pretty much what I've been seeing. I from the, we don't really get involved in this, but we do see it. Um, you know, like appraisals and stuff like mm -hmm. that. I, I have seen when I've been on the emails that the appraisers are getting very strict. Mm -hmm. Very very strict. So so appraisers get their direction from underwriters. Mm -hmm. Okay from the lender. Yeah. So it sounds like lenders are starting to kind of pull their horns in a little yeah. bit and get a little more restrictive. Yeah. And that happens when things start to slow down. One of the very first things that lenders do yeah. is they get defensive, yeah. right? Like, like I said, I've been doing this for a while, right? I've yeah. been around the block a few million times. And you know, it's, it's absolutely the case. Every single time that it starts to slow down, they get tight. Yeah. And then when it starts to come back, once it's once they believe it, once they believe in the momentum, yeah. then they start loosening up again, yeah. uh, a little bit anyway, right? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so that's you're getting that from you're getting what you're seeing is coming from the lender. Uh, I do see as well from the lender perspective, a lot of them are very more anxious too, because again, there's not a lot of business to go around. Mm -hmm. So the one deal that they do have, they try to baby it, mm -hmm. but it can rub off on people in a, in a bad way. Yeah. What I mean by that is say, for example, um, if you don't, not, I haven't seen it happen to myself, but I've seen it happen to other officers where if they don't respond as quickly or do something as quickly, people are so quick to throw shade in this business. Yeah. Throw people under the bus. I've seen this so many times. And, but the well, especially when things slow down. Right, because there's less to pick from, right? There's yeah. less meat out there. So they need to be able to be quicker now because yeah. we have that one deal. But yeah. For us, for my team specifically, we're still very busy. Yeah. I, I actually give 100% to every deal. Sure. Oftentimes, or sometimes you, you won't be able to do that, you know, the capacity every time, but you may have lenders, for instance, saying, oh, I need this right away. Yeah. And they're very adamant because that's their only deal. Right. So I understand that, but still treat me with some sort of like patience yeah. in that sense, right? So. Sometimes you're having to push back and say, hey, you know, we'll get to it, we'll get it done, don't worry about it. But then immediately CC it, buyer's agent. Mm -hmm. Oh, what's going on with this company? Not doing anything wrong, yeah. not at all. I, I had another um, uh, escrow company um, yesterday where literally it was just me and them corresponding because we were doing an assignment of funds. Mm -hmm. My seller's buying a replacement property right. at escrow. Right. So I reached out to the other escrow and said, hey, can you give me the nominal amount of how much you need to wire? I already know I have the assignment of funds amendment that right. you gave me, but it says blank, meaning you can put an exact amount or net proceeds. And again, mind you, this is just between us. Mm -hmm. I mean, they replied back, attached the email with the assignment of funds, which mind you, I already acknowledged I had, mm -hmm. and CC the entire agents and say, why are you asking for this? And I'm like, because I'm asking you for a specific amount. It says on your thing, blank or net proceeds. Mm -hmm. But in their mind, they're just saying all of the net proceeds. And I'm like, you, you have an or in your statement. Right. Um, the client, Which one is it? The client is wanting to invoke the one where they want to, they don't, they don't want all the money to go there. Right. And that's all I was asking. Right. And literally the client was also CC'd on that. She calls me and she's like, what's going on? And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, hey, tell me, I'm just having a simple conversation. I was just getting a specific amount. But what we found out is they were just trying to throw us under the bus, trying to say we weren't on top of our stuff. Yeah. And I'm just like, 
what's the whole purpose of this? Yeah. And that's what I found is a lot of escrow companies that I may have to work with on assignment of funds or something like that, a lot of them are like that. Yeah. And I'm like, is it a sort of insecurity that if somebody else has another escrow? I guarantee it. I guarantee you it's insecurity. Yeah. By the way, same thing with the with the lenders. When the lenders are trying to throw, anybody's trying to throw shade at you, yeah. it's an insecurity thing. Yeah. Okay? They're trying to, to shine the spotlight on you so that the spotlight doesn't end up on them. And that's the because thing. they know that if there's if the spotlight's on them, they're not performing. They're not doing what they need to be doing. That's the I'm not in the business of doing that at all. So right. when that when, when that And you want to continue that way. So you need to be that island. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, Reagan talked about this the the shiny city on the hill, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. You want to be that. Yeah. Because when all the rest of this is settled. You're the person that they look to and go, you know what? The one person that didn't show sh search, throw any shade was yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. So how I replied to that, for instance, is not in a bad way. I just said, oh, I just, again, I'm just asking for the client. Just keep it very, but even, I think the client themselves knew. So when they called me, I gave them my actual reason. Mm -hmm. I said, look, I'm going to be professional no matter what. Right. I'm not going to deviate from that if someone wants to do that. I'm not like that. Right. Um, Cause I trust, trust me. I've seen it many times over where I catch people's mistakes. I don't go there and say, oh, this lender did this and that. Mm -hmm. I always tell my agents, hey, the lender's performing, don't worry about it. Because I don't want to instill that notion of, of not being able to trust somebody at all right. or any part of the transaction. Right. Because then it's going to create a sort of vigilance where it's like, hey, we're going to need you to be on top of that person. Right. I don't want to micromanage somebody else. Well, you don't want to go there. Yeah. You, you don't want to go there, period, right? Yeah. So your job is not to judge. Yeah. Okay. Your job is to just fulfill. Yeah. Just get the job done. Get yeah. done what you need to do, and stay out of that fray. Yeah. That's the one thing. Like I tell, you know, I teach a lot, and I teach a lot of realtors. Right. I've literally taught hundreds, yeah, probably yeah. thousands over the years. But one of the things that I've taught them, and I kept telling our, we owned the Keller Williams office in Escondido for eighteen years, yeah. and I told agents all the time, the ones that worked with me and worked in our in our company, and the ones that didn't. I specifically, I, listen, every single time you get involved emotionally in a transaction, your clients lose, yeah. okay? Yeah. You'll ultimately lose, yeah. but your clients lose, all, you know, first, right? And I, I mean, I had situations, Rudy, where our, our realtor and their realtor wouldn't talk to each other. Yeah. They wouldn't even talk to each other. Okay, yeah. how are you going to get anything done? How are you going to progress? Yeah. And those, by the way, those that realtor, anytime a realtor that I had pulled something like that, they they were brought into my office and they were explaining. It was explained to them explicitly, not not negatively, but explicitly. Yeah, yeah. Specifically, it was it was explained to them. If this happens again, I'm handing you your license. Yeah. Okay, yeah. because we don't do that here. Yeah. That's not our standard. Yeah. And I was I'm big on standards. Yeah. Okay. So every single time that an, an agent, realtor, escrow, lender, anybody, anytime anybody gets into the deal where they're judging somebody and they have an opinion that's negative about somebody else, yeah. somebody's gonna lose. Yeah. Ultimately, they're gonna lose, right? But if you keep your eye on who you keep your eye on, which is your client, and making sure you take great care of your client, let the rest of that just yeah. go away. Exactly. Okay. You be that island. You be that shiny city on the hill. Exactly. Okay. That's what it is. It's just keeping a sense of um, rationality. Yeah. Let the rest of them. Yeah. Let the rest of them do what they're going to do. Yeah. Okay. You focus on what you focus on. You'll come out the other end of this, yeah. right? When the market starts picking back up, 
people will think about it and they'll go, you know what? Rudy was the one person that didn't go negative. Rudy was the one person <laughs> yeah. that didn't, right? And when people criticize you, okay? Yeah. When people criticize you, don't respond. Yep. Don't respond. Yeah. Just do what you do and keep doing it. I had it this morning, for instance, where we have a file where it's been delayed for weeks, weeks, weeks because of a 9A report mm -hmm. where they barely ordered it. And so still waiting for it. And then finally we got an addendum saying like, hey, you know, we're going to, we're just gonna close without it, but the agent was like, you know, it's just she was so worried in the email, and she was kind of being rude in the way. So like, you know, we need to get this done, or, or else we're not locks like locks gonna expire tomorrow. And I, I just replied very calmly, said I don't foresee this being issued now that we have this resolved. Mm -hmm. We are definitely gonna fund. Give an update twenty minutes later. File is not funded. Mm -hmm. Thank you for the update. Yeah. Rather than going back and forth and saying why are you being worried, bro. Right. I just push that aside. Yeah. That's the thing that I would That's the best thing you can do. Yeah. Don't get in the water with them. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Just. Because there. then it's just unnecessary back and forth. It is. It's, it becomes trivial and then it's yeah. like, okay, is this speech just becoming a pissing contest? Yeah. I just drowned out and said, nope, keep it business as usual, follow the recorded, we'll let you know once we're confirmed. Perfect. Well, perfect. And then they respond back, thank you so much. Yeah. And I, I feel like sometimes when you respond like that, people are also testing you. Well, they they want to see your Oh, reaction. I guarantee you that. Yeah. Every single time, everything we're talking about yeah. is a test. They want to see your It's reaction. an absolute yeah. test. They're wanting to see what you're going to say. Will you take the bait? Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Will you be judgmental? Will you go negative? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. And I guarantee you, you're being tested every single yeah. day more times than you even realize. Yeah. Okay? And it's up to you as to whether you pass it or not. Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned... Yeah. You've completely passed every test that, that I've seen thrown your way. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm being honest, yeah, okay? Yeah. Keep doing that, Yeah. okay? And just the thing that you have to do is you have to remember your standard is higher than everybody else's and that's not a bad thing. Yeah. That's not a bad thing, okay? Just maintain it. Yeah. No. You're, gonna, you're, you. you're doing great and you're gonna do even, even greater. Thank you, thank you. So anything else you'd like to cover before we sign off? I really appreciate your time today, and I really appreciate you being specific with us. Yeah. I know you reached some people today. I guarantee you, you did. Yeah. Okay, you inspired me, <laughs> and I know you inspired a lot of people. Thank you. Okay, thanks again, buddy. Thank you. Appreciate thank you. you joining appreciate us. It, appreciate it. You're awesome. Appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Mike Litton Experience. If you did, do us a favor, smash that subscribe button, tell your friends, family, and coworkers about our program, and wherever you get your podcasts, please leave us a rating. It helps us to connect with quality people just like you. And that's a wrap. Another episode of the Mike Litton Experience in the books. Reach out to Mike on Instagram at Litton Realty. Want to meet with Mike? Check out calendly.com slash Rio 760.